Yes, uh, hi, hello, and welcome inside a Thursday edition of the program. Whew, take a deep breath. It has been very rapid this week. <laughs> lots of basketball, lots of different things going on, and we have you all covered right here on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Um, it's been a mad sprint over the last couple of days, but I guess the saying goes we wouldn't want it any other way I guess that's fair right it, it, it it's really really been uh, a lot of fun over the last couple of days and the excitement only continues a lot of Delaware County teams are still involved in the high school boys basketball sectional and a major major upset last night um, and, and and happily so uh, for an area team around here uh, Pacers get a nice win last night we'll talk to the uh, mem- a member of the Pacers radio network Pat Boy he joins us pretty frequently on the show and will join us. We actually just recorded that conversation a little bit earlier because as we are busy, so are those folks over with the Indiana Pacers as well. Um, and if we have some time at the end of the show, I do want to uh, touch on this uh, with Chris Ballard and some of his comments yesterday. Shane Steichen talked to the media as well. And I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll wrap it up in this and, and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe talk a little bit more detail at the end uh, this is at the NFL draft combine where both um, I don't know if they're required to speak to the media but it has been very typical over the years that uh, that that's one of their moments usually there's um, that that's they do the end of season press conference stuff they do the NFL draft combine then they do the post draft and then we really don't hear from them until training camp so it's not very many times that we get to hear from Shane Steink and Chris Ballard because I get it I know that fans say, oh, what's the big deal if they talked? Well, they don't really talk all that much, <laughs> to, to, be, to be really honest with you. Um, they, they pick their spots in talking to the media. So we'll recap some of what was said. Uh, some of what was talked about maybe a little bit later in the show as well. Uh, so your calls welcome, 765-287-1340 at MarkWMUN on Twitter. We got a busy day tomorrow. We do. Double header at sectional number 24, class 3A. It'll be Yorktown versus Hamilton Heights. Game one, game two features Delta at Newcastle. Now, you might say, why is it at Newcastle if it's a neutral site game? Well, the sectional tournament is hosted at Newcastle. So we have that on both radio and video tomorrow night delta got a win last night held frankton to seven points in the second half that's pretty darn impressive and you know what stands out about delta um has to be their experience this is a team that went to the semi-state championship a year ago um i would imagine you give a team with experience a lot of ability to make a lot of their decisions because they've done it before and um, you know you have that experience on this stage no question about it Uh, Yorktown got the win on Tuesday night so um, and they did a very similar type of game plan where they really exploded in the second half offensively locked down defensively like you know we, we we complicate the game of basketball sometimes and, you know, you always say the team that scores more points is going to win the basketball game. Well, duh. Uh, but at the same time, here's what it comes down to. When you make shots, guess what it also allows you to do? Set up your defense in the half court. 
So off of a main shot, when you have a team like Delta, who holds teams very frequently to under 45 points from the field, it's often they're getting really high percentage shots, converting them, and being able to get back on defense to be able to set it. And here's the reason why I'm going to bring this up. Because last night, Muncie Central had a, a, a huge win for the program. Huge win against a 20-3 Richmond team. If you want to describe this win as a Hoosier hysteria type of win, go ahead. You can do that. But at the end of the day, Muncie Central out-executed Richmond. And... That is why there is always situations like this every single year where you get this in the first round of the tournament. You know, you could be 20 and 3, you could be 21 and 4, you could be 23 and 0, which by the way Muncie Central's going to play one of those teams coming up tomorrow night in the semifinals. But on one night, this isn't a series. This isn't a hey, best 2 out of 3. This isn't like, hey, you know, you get to play in the loser's bracket and work your way back to the winner's bracket. No, it's a one-shot deal. It's a one-shot deal. And last night, Muncie Central flat-out executed Richmond. I don't care how many um, different, you know, different times these teams would play and how it would be different the next time and those sorts of things. When it mattered, Muncie Central out-executed them. And you know what stood out to me? Muncie Central made shots and it allowed them to set up their defense in their half-court set. Now, it's not the only reason they won last night, but it was a large part of it, big time. I mean, they made big-time shots after big-time shots, and, you know, the resolve to take another team's punch after you start off hot and you still have the resolve to overcome it. And, and, and look, down the stretch, Muncie Central um, had a very tough schedule. And you, you always hope that that results in something, but a lot of times you had heard about the self-inflicted type of stuff down the stretch that, you know, just missed defensive assignments, not being able to close out games, all the different things that we talk about with teams that are really struggling and kind of going through it. And last night, they looked like the team in control. You know, um, I spoke to uh, Rich Johnston and Rob Fisher were fantastic last night. I told both of them um, as a viewer myself, and I know I'm a part of this station group and I get to call games and those sorts of things, but they were they were outstanding last night and uh, made it a lot of fun. And we've gotten a lot of comments about uh, their broadcast last night, and we, we thank them. Uh, for their work last night, and our coverage just certainly does not stop here. But, man, what a difference it is when you make shots. And, by the way, I go back to last Friday, and for those of you that paid attention to the Muncie Central-Newcastle game, and I remember talking to a, to a couple of the assistant coaches after the game and saying, you know what, like, Newcastle shot 77% from the floor, or 73% or 77% from three, whatever it is. They were, like, over 70%. I mean, it was ridiculous. But the difference that they kind of put into place right away by – hitting perimeter shots, and being able to set up their defense. I mean, it sounds so simplistic. And we do make this game sometimes very difficult. But And, and it's not to say that this is the only thing that helps you win basketball games. But that was a major difference last night with Muncie Central. They had shot-making ability 
and they set up their defense. And you know what? I think we've known for a while with the athleticism, the length, the uh, uh, ability to just flat out jump passing lanes quicker. They've got quicker steps, all, all those different things. It, all it took was making shots. I mean, you make shots and it turns into that. But that win last night for the program had to feel just incredibly monumental in a lot of ways. I mean, it felt it felt different than just a, hey, you want a sectional game. Because, you know, last year, that team really, um, you know, the 15-9 and Muncie Central team last year led by Daniel Harris in that group, and a couple of these players on this team were on that team. You know, Joey Olam and et cetera, uh, they ran into a really good Mount Vernon team and lost in the first round of sectional play. This team going in the last night wasn't expected to do anything at all. And they went in and they out-executed a team that had lost three games all year long. They were 20-3. and And they, they looked like the better team. If you wouldn't have seen the records, if you wouldn't have known these two teams played earlier in the year, you, wouldn't have, you, you would have thought Muncie Central was the team that was 20-3. and three. They were really good last night. Uh, a credit to the coaching staff, the players. That was a lot of fun to watch last night. And I know um, that, that community's fired up, and they get to go back to Greenfield Central tomorrow night to face off against the only undefeated team in the state and the Greenfield Central Cougars. Uh, Braylon Mullins, a very high-level recruit. He's a junior, really good, and it'll be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Now, we will not cover that game, but, but uh, just – as a little bit of an aside, okay, we know what's happening in the other sectional matchups. We know. We definitely know. I'm just going to throw this out there to say this. We are aware. <laughs> we are aware. So if situations occur, as what fans would hope to see for Saturday, if things happen according to what they want to see, just know that we are aware. That's all I'll say. How about that? Because we can't predict the future, but we have uh, we, we, we have some plans in place. Okay? Okay. All right. Other games last night. Wapahani, I think, had one of the most underrated victories of the night. Uh, they absolutely took care of LaPelle and in the first quarter really made it known. I mean, they held a double-figure lead for the majority of that game. And I got to tell you, uh, behind the scenes – you know, that, 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 that Lapel team had really, really played well. I mean, winning 17 of 18, beating number one, tipped in, all those sorts of things. And what looked like a sectional that Wapahani at the beginning of the year was really going to walk through ended up being a little bit of a, hey, yeah, Lapel's playing pretty well, and you get them in matchup number one, and they are the toughest competition, you, you, you would think, in that sectional of what they're doing right now. And... All Wapahani did was just absolutely thoroughly execute to a very high level. And it's another example as well, all the experience of a particular team going through those circumstances is so darn important. And I, I talk about the coach, Matt Luce. I also talk about Isaac Andrews and some of the other players on that basketball team, but Isaac Andrews didn't have to score 25-30 last night. And we've heard this time and time again. All he wants to do is win. And last night was a perfect example of that because Camden Bell was huge. Nick Cook was huge. 
And really, I think Isaac Andrews might have been the third leading scorer last night unless his total started to, uh, to, 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 to combine as it got through the later portions of that basketball game. But make no mistake about it, folks, there were a lot of people that felt as though LaPel was the better basketball team going into last night. And Wapahani, again, it's a one-game deal. It's a one-game deal. What did Wapahani do? They took care of that thoroughly last night. It was an absolute fantastic performance. And, you know, that's what great teams do. They create different versions of themselves. Uh, West Hill, in that same sectional, a nice win over Burris. That was a game that was, um, you know, it, it was a, it was a um, single-digit deficit for a lot of the first half. And then all of a sudden, West Hill just put the gas pedal down to the floor and took over one by 35-36, right? And uh, that, that's a nice win. Uh, you know, it's a nice program win for Josh Burkett in the West Hill Boys basketball team. Josh Burkett in his first year as head coach. You know, uh, and I've talked to Coach a lot uh, over the course of the season, and uh, there's not a better guy in this community than Josh. Uh, but we talked a lot about... Um, you know, the team and the progression of this uh, program and all those sorts of things. And that is just that, – that, that is so much fun when you win a sectional game and you get to build off something saying, hey, we won a playoff game a year ago um, because they want to build this program into something different going forward up and up and up. And uh, that's, a, that's a great way to start. Uh, I would say winning kind of helps you in that scenario, no doubt about it. So uh, a lot of great wins – around the area last night but um muncie central's one certainly stood out uh, and rightfully so they were outstanding last night and quite frankly like i said earlier on uh the better basketball team uh, there's no question about it they were the better basketball team so um we're going to talk to pat boylan from the pacers radio network coming up here in a little bit uh pacers are 34 and 26 uh that is after last night's win uh against the new orleans pelicans which you know i, I look at the start of uh, the after the all-star break stuff uh, they thoroughly dismantled the Detroit Pistons they beat up the Dallas Mavericks and now you've beaten the New Orleans Pelicans with a matchup coming at the San Antonio Spurs uh, coming up uh, this weekend and you know again it, it comes down to the same things that we've discussed for this basketball team can you take care of the teams that are in front of you and obviously so they they still struggle with those middle of the road basketball teams like uh the toronto raptors which i, I still categorize it as a bad loss um we'll talk to pat boylan about that coming up here in a little bit at the end of the day um the Eastern Conference is so jumbled up right now that these final 22-23 games is going to be really interesting. And I mean incredibly interesting from the standpoint that you could very well be fifth, you could very well be eighth. And if you're eighth, you're in the play-in. If you're seventh, you're in the play-in. If you're sixth, if you're five, I, I don't really care where you land one through six, to be honest with you, because I feel confident about them being able to, to play well against Milwaukee and those sorts of teams. But at the end of the day, I, the, the play-in would absolutely scare me. It would. 
because over a consistent amount of time when you're facing teams like the Chicago Bulls, who are 10 games under 500, the Raptors are in that mix. Um, I'm looking at other teams. The Magic, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, really, those are teams that Indiana has struggled against this year. And oh, by the way, we very much like we talked about Hoosier hysteria and the one game and done type of deal. Now, it's not like that in the play-in, but it's not a seven-game series. You know, you have to win. You know, you have to win two in a row to to to, to get through. But the teams that the Pacers have struggled against are the, the those types of teams. Like that is why I believe it is so imperative for the Pacers to get one of those top six seeds. And it could be six, it could be five, I don't care. Get one of those top six seeds. The play-in would absolutely scare me. It absolutely would. Now, maybe they're better than that. Maybe they turn it up a notch when they uh, get to the uh, postseason play. But to me, the 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 whole deal with uh, the play-in, I don't like it. I don't like it with this basketball team because they've been too much of a seesaw when it's come to that. I have zero reservations against uh, the, the top teams in the Eastern Conference, whether it's Philadelphia, Cleveland, Milwaukee. I know um, I don't know if they're going to get as low as seven or eight to possibly face off against a um, Boston Celtics team. So I'm going to omit them for the time being. But again, I would even feel good about them playing against Boston at this point. But that being said, the playing stuff really does scare me if I'm an Indiana Pacers fan. And we'll be talking more about this as we head down the line here over the next couple of weeks, no doubt about it. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, but man, a lot of basketball to be had uh, Ball State women's basketball uh, gets back on the winning track last night and it was a nice win a uh, very nice win they thoroughly took care of what they needed to take care of in order to uh, to get the win and again all you can do is win and, and and keep things in front of you and that's what Ball State women's basketball has done again um, you know don't do the don't don't feel you know too awful about the loss to Toledo last weekend because you're going to have to see them again. You're going to have to uh, play them again, and I think, obviously, as we know, this next matchup in the Mid-American Conference Tournament side of things is going to be the most important matchup of the season between these two schools. So, again, not, not didn't feel good. But you have a lot of basketball still ahead of you uh, that's going to be even more important there. Ball State men's basketball is back in action coming up on Saturday at Worthen Arena as uh, they continue the trek and uh, the, the push for the number eight seed in the Mid-American Conference Tournament. So a lot still to play for um, in college basketball around here. Three games remaining for both Ball State men's basketball and Ball State women's basketball as well. So uh, we recorded a conversation with Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network just moments ago. He had to step away to an event. Uh, so Pat and I had a really good 16, 17-minute conversation. We will play that interview for you when we come back and then talk a little Colts a little bit later on in the program. Glad you're with us on the Thursday show. We're back with you next on The Power. Talk on Muncie WMUN.
Monsey, the new WMUN on this Thursday, brought to you in part by Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Road and Monsey online, wallsfurniture.com, 90% of what's on the showroom for in stock for you, 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference, Nebo Road and Monsey. New trends and styles swap daily on their showroom floor. Check them out, Nebo Road and Monsey and online at wallsfurniture.com. As we have a chance to catch up with Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network, it's been a very, very busy stretch since the the all-star break pad and that that's what stood out to me now uh, obviously a great start with the three wins and then you have the, the the setback against the Raptors and then you close one out last night um do you feel like the urgency has ramped up a little bit there's still a little bit to go obviously but it feels a little different after the all-star break yeah, it always does, Mark, because I think a lot of people don't realize this, but the fact of the matter is the All-Star break's nowhere near the midway point of the season. I think oftentimes you'll hear people say the first half and the second half and not really realize that when you hit the All-Star break, you're about two-thirds of the way through the year. And so when you get out of the All-Star break, uh, it's just the final third or so of the season and even more so the urgency when you consider the standing. So the Pacers <clears throat> entered the night uh, on 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 Wednesday night uh, in a tie for eighth, and they finished the night in a virtual tie for fifth. That gives you an idea of how close the standings are. And by the way, they were the only one of those teams in that grouping of teams that played. Um, So a half game separates fifth from eighth in the Eastern Conference. If you're fifth, you're playing a team very similar to you in the first round of the playoffs, and you're already locked into the playoffs. If you're eighth, um, you've got to play a road first play-in game. So there's a big, big difference between being in those uh, four spots and, and the different spots between them. So, yeah, urgency is, is absolutely high. And your four games out of the break, looking at those four, I felt like the Pacers needed to go three and one in them. Um, you had two games that you feel like you should win in Detroit and Toronto. My thought going into it was if you get those two, um, then you've also got Dallas and New Orleans, who are two good teams out west. You split those two and you're happy to go three and one. You get to three and one kind of in an, in an unorthodox way. You get the wins against Dallas um, and New Orleans, which are the toughest two. You take care of Detroit. You have the disappointing game against Toronto. I think it all equals out to being uh, fairly pleased with where you are here as you enter the month of March. Well, and, and, and yesterday we talked about that Raptors game and, and, and where this team was two years ago. Um, you would have talked about it and said, oh, that's kind of a battle of two of the bottom-ish teams in the NBA. Now two years later, Pat, you're talking about that being a very disappointing loss in a lot of ways. And I, I wanted to put it into perspective where it didn't sound like it was just a, hey, you're going to rip a team after they lost. But um, in a weird way, it kind of made me realize the, the, I guess, spin or analysis on what that loss really meant in just a short two-year span but it it wasn't a great performance but I think you take more of the good than that one bad of what you've seen so far in about a week right after the all-star break 
Yeah, and I mean, this is really a storyline that's lasted all season. The Pacers have been way better than you would guess against the top teams in the NBA, but they've been worse than you would hope against the bottom teams in the NBA. And, and you know, you can draw the line wherever you want. For me personally, I'm not putting Toronto down there with the bottom seeders. Um, they've got a lot of talent there, even though it hasn't equated to a bunch of wins. I'm not saying uh, by any means that it wasn't disappointing. It was a disappointing loss. Um, but I think Toronto's more like a Chicago type team from a talent perspective than a Detroit or Washington. The Pacers have an unfortunate high number of losses to those bottom feeder teams. I would say that Toronto's not there in my opinion, but it depends on where you draw the line. But in general, yeah, I mean, that's been the most interesting storyline here for this team this season. They have four wins over Milwaukee. They have two wins over Boston. They've got two wins over Philadelphia. They've beaten New York. Um, they've done a really, really good job against some of the top teams in the NBA. They've done a great job of getting up for these games, but the flip side is they've struggled against teams near the bottom. And the other thing that kind of coincided with that Raptors game is the other season-long storyline, and you can play glass half empty, glass half full all day with this one, uh, is that the Pacers have struggled significantly on the second night of back-to-backs, which is a little perplexing when you consider it's a younger team. Um, they've actually got the second-worst record in the NBA on the second night mm. of back-to-backs. They're just 2-9. and nine. Uh, Some of that is, you know, I think the Pacers play at such a quick pace that it's maybe hard to replicate that back-to-back night. So you had a situation against Toronto where one of the lesser teams in the NBA on back-to-back. It was kind of those two narratives that you were hoping to disprove, and unfortunately you couldn't. The glass half full side of the, of the back-to-back and the, and the lower opponents thing is you're not going to see those in the playoffs. I mean, the, the bottom teams aren't going to be there, um, and the back-to-back certainly aren't going to be there. So, you know, it's, it's, it, you sort of have to add it all together to me in one equation because if you sit here and you really nitpick at all the, the losses against the bottom teams, which it would be fair to do, to a degree, um, then you're not taking the full the full equation into account. And at the same time, if you sit here and look at all these spectacular wins against the top team, you're not taking the full equation into that account either. So I, I, I think you have to kind of view them with the same weight at the same time. It's Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network with Don's Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Let's go a little deeper into this. So I, I know every time we discuss um, how we know what it team really is it's really that 25 to 30 game barometer from an individual player standpoint that you just acquired uh pascal siakam 19 games in so we're getting very close to that threshold for an individual again um you know depending on where you look at it but man i i just look at consistency with, with him right now not only has he been on the floor for every game which i think some of the concern was injury and knock on wood there's been been none of that he's played 19 games Games. He started 19 games, but he is just so efficient. And, and do you find this a little bit, Pat? That like he blends in, and then at the end of the at the end of the game, you look at his numbers, and you're like, oh yeah, he had his typical 22, six, and five. It, he kind of feels like that player to me. 
Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. The consistency with him is the thing that really sticks out to me. And I, if you went and looked, I don't know exactly where um, you, you draw these lines, but, like, I would have to imagine if you said, how many games does he have between 20 and 23 points? How many games does he have between six and nine rebounds? How many games does he have between four and seven assists? I mean, you're probably talking about at least half the games that he's played in uh, with the Pacers, and I think that's really good. And, you know, look, Siakam is a two-time All-Star. Um, you know, he, he's, he's won an NBA championship. He's a really, really good player, and he's going to help this team take another step forward. I'm confident of it. Um, at the same time, you know, you, you didn't give up very much to get him. And it, 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 there is a difference, I think, with the – dynamic level of play that one's capable of. Like, you see what Tyrese Halliburton can do, and you see what Pascal Siakam can do, and at their peaks, um, you can see why Tyrese Halliburton is the potential top 15, top 10 player. Pascal Siakam is just really, really good and really consistent, and I think was really important to the Pacers keeping the boat afloat without Halliburton. Uh, When they traded for him, is he the guy that's going to go out there and get you 40 and battle with the opposing superstar on the other roster no that's just not who he is and not quite the caliber of player that he is Um, but he is somebody that almost every single night is going to bring it at a consistent level um, is going to provide you scoring the other thing too is his versatility defensively Um, you know the Pacers have been in so many actions now and and this will get even better when you get Aaron Neesmith back in but now that they're starting Andrew Nemhard who's a good defender if you start you know Neesmith Smith at that spot, all of a sudden those three guys are just kind of switching interchangeably, and there's not much advantage that the defense can get there. The Pacers didn't really have the ability to do that before. They've been mixing and matching with that four spot. Uh, Neesmith, you know, is, is, a, is a pretty darn good defender, but he's over, he's undersized at the four. Um, you know, they, they've had Jalen Smith there, and they had some success with that in terms of rebounding and playing with some size, but again, uh, Smith, uh, not really the athlete to defend against the four. And so I think that as much as anything has been impactful at the end of the day, though, for the Pacers to reach their ceiling, for them to consistently have good play. I do think they're still at a point where Tyrese Halliburton has to play well. And that didn't happen against Toronto and the Pacers lost. And so it's a lot of pressure on him. Siakam, I think, is is shown to be a really good Robin, if you will. Um, He's been that type of guy for a long time in his career and very, very, very valuable. I think for the Pacers, where they stand right now, uh, to continue the analogy here, they they still very much need Tyrese Halliburton to be Batman. Well, speaking of Tyrese, um, especially game number one coming right back off the All-Star break, he just looks so fresh, had the extra step. Like, there was a point towards the the later part of uh, the the season towards the All-Star break where you were kind of saying, you just didn't see that um I, I don't know what the right word but like you see it when you when, when you know what you when you see it with him and I guess it's that spark and that's that extra step well you saw that right at the start and I know it's been kind of pushed around here over the last week but do you notice that as well that he's had a little bit of an extra step and you know obviously he was coming off the injury and those sorts of things uh, what your thoughts on all of that 
Well, in general, I think the answer to that question is yes, but I thought that, you know, coming out of the All-Star break, for example, that first game against Detroit, I thought he was moving as well as he's moved all year, the burst, the step, the whatever you want to call it. Um, you know it when you see it type thing. Um, and, and I thought it was, it was a little interesting because in that game against Toronto, to me it felt like it wasn't there. Um, there were a couple times where Jakob Hurdle was switched on to him on the perimeter, and, like, this is a matchup that, you know, at least to me, is one that Halliburton burns him night in, night out, and he struggled a little bit with it, and that was the night where the Pacers struggled, and there was more that Toronto was doing um, to kind of bottle him up. And so, you know, he, he has continued to say essentially this, am I 100% no, but am I close? Yes. Am I still feeling it a little bit after games? Yes. So I think, you know, reasonable to perhaps draw a conclusion of um, back-to-back are still maybe a little bit of a challenge for him and stretches of if you play five games in seven days, probably not the easiest thing in the world for him. But we have seen him, you know, play in stretches the whole Detroit game, uh, the end of the game last night, uh, a lot of the game against Dallas. He's looked close to, if not that superstar player that he was in the first half of the season. I think that's been really good to see. And I think one of the storylines, one of the things I'm watching here the rest of the season is you kind of know what you've got, you've got from Siakam here. I would love to see how the Pacers look if they could get a one to two week stretch of Tyrese Halliburton looking like the Tyrese Halliburton in the first half of the season and just kind of get a glimpse of where this team ceiling might be if they can get there. Because look as we were just discussing like at the end of the day for the Pacers to uh, you know probably make the top uh, eight in the playoffs in terms of either getting in themselves through the top six or through the play-in tournament to do that they're probably going to need Halliburton to play well and and to contest in that first round playoff series if and when they get there they're almost assuredly going to need Halliburton to look the version he was early in the season and I think that's still probably you know a work in progress as he continues to trust his hamstring, play on back-to-backs, and deal with everything that goes with it. But I think in general, he's trending in the direction that you want to see him. But I think it's something that is certainly worth watching here coming up. And the, the, the final little bit of good news as it relates to this is the fact that he, uh, the, the Pacers have played as many games as anybody in the NBA. So their back-to-backs are almost done. Um, they've got more rest than almost any team in the league here from March on. Um, and, and so be, between those two things, a lot of the challenges that the Pacers have faced this year, they don't have much of left on the schedule. It is Pat Boylan for the Pacers Radio Network with us. Final one for you, Pat. And that was where I was going to go next and kind of tracking uh, the playoff chase here. You are tied for fifth right now. You're a game and a half out of fourth. Um, but you're also only uh, a half a game um, a difference between eight. Um, you're five game difference from nine so there's a lot that can really shift around and you got 22 23 games left are we track like the stuff you do right now is certainly going to contribute to that but when is the real moment where we start to really focus on the standings kind of game after game after game Oh, for me, I'm there. <laughs> for yeah, me, I was going to say I am too. I just was curious if it's like, yeah. okay, not quite yet. 
Yeah, well, no, I mean, you're, you're going to look at things a lot more closely in the end of March than you do at the beginning of the March, but uh, beginning of the month of March, but I'm there. Um, this is so close. It's so competitive. It's tracking to go down to the final day or two of the season. And so everything you do right now um, is vitally important. I just mentioned the fact that the Pacers have more rest than most teams in the league down the stretch. That's a positive. A challenge will be the month of March. Uh, you've got 10 road games and five home games. So they're going to have to play well on the road in the month of March, uh, you know, to keep up. And the other thing is, I think I was just looking at this and I think I've got it right. Uh, Orlando, I believe, has the easiest strength of schedule the rest of the way. And Miami's in uh, the bottom five in terms of um, strength of schedule difficulty. And the Pacers are kind of mid-pack there. So you could say maybe Miami and, and Orlando have a little bit of an inside track there. But, but you're at the point even for me here as we're speaking on the last day of February where I'm looking for, you know, those, those subtle differences in those little nuances in the schedule. Um, Philadelphia is fascinating because I think for most of the year, you kind of said, okay, you put them above you and, and, and kind of forgot about them. And, and without Joel Embiid, they've come back to earth and not just come back to earth, but there was a report today that says he's hopeful to get back this season. So that's not Joel Embiid coming back in the next couple of weeks, at least as I read it. So that's going to continue for them. New York's been coming down. Um, it's fascinating, you know, it, it, whether you look at it five through eight or whether New York, um, you know, continues struggling a bit and it's four through eight. Um, it's so tightly contested right now that everything is so important. And I know the casual NBA fan maybe is not used to looking at the NBA schedule that closely right now or watching every single game and, and standings watch. Look, if there's ever a year to do it here, if you're a Pacers fan, this is it. It's going to be a fascinating stretch run. I don't know where you define stretch run. Typically, I wouldn't have said 25 games left in the season, but to me, it absolutely feels like you're there, and it should be, you know, especially after the last couple of years, um, it's really exciting to have these conversations here into March and into April. Yeah, no question. It is Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network with us on the Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUA, and a lot of really interesting uh, conversations down the stretch here as, again, we're, we're getting close to that point uh it's going to be the middle of april uh late april before we know it when the uh, nba playoffs begin hey pat thanks so much have a good rest of your week looking forward to discussing it all with you mark thank you yeah, I tell you what, the nitty-gritty's coming. It, 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 this is fun. I mean, um, I, I got to admit it, and I've said it from the very, very start. Look, I've told you on this show that I will admit when I am wrong. I was dead wrong about this whole situation with the Indiana Pacers. I was not a fan of the uh, giving up assets uh, for DeMontis Sabonis <laughs> because, um, you know, you only see what you know, and really Tyrese Halliburton had some good moments with Sacramento, but uh, certainly wasn't maybe seen as a marquee player in a lot of ways that obviously was wrong and um, you know the 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 drafting and tanking and all those different things that you did a mini tank and you're back in it in two years I mean brilliant job by Kevin Pritchard in this group it really really is impressive to watch so all right when we come back we'll close up a Thursday edition of the show that's after this Yes, welcome back. Brought to you in part by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure you get all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. Well, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen it yet, it's happening. Caitlin Clark via social media, the 
Iowa basketball star and um, future WNBA player just announced after the conclusion of this season, she will be headed to the WNBA draft, which means what? The Indiana Fever have the number one overall draft pick, and for the life of me, I, I wouldn't expect there to be any other decision than drafting Caitlin Clark at number one. So it's not official, but it's pretty darn close to that, that Caitlin Clark is likely to be in the state of Indiana for their professional uh, sports franchise, the Indiana Fever. So again, I did not think that she would return for another year, but again, when you hear you know players say how much they love college, and especially in in, uh, it doesn't feel like there's this urgency to go early in college women's basketball. That you hang around for a while, you play a while. I don't even know if Aaliyah Boston, who was just drafted by Indiana at number one, uh, if she had another year of eligibility or not. Uh, but but really, there isn't this you know one and done type of mentality in the WNBA. So from a different standpoint, with um, you know the the, the men's college basketball, etc. Um, you know those players are trying to get to the league as quickly as possible. So I guess that there was a possibility. However, you know, just like everybody else has said, and I'll say it again, just what else does she have to accomplish other than winning a national title? And, um, you know, I I think you got to be very realistic about where you're at at Iowa. They're a top 10 ranked team, but when it comes to them playing against the very, very top teams in the NCAA tournament, um, they got to the NCAA championship last year. So it's not like out of the realm of possibility that they could win a national championship, uh, but that's really the only only other thing to accomplish for Caitlin Clark her star could not be any higher than it is right now and you know um there have been I I, I said this before there have been really great women's college basketball players and quite frankly the Indiana Fever have had one of the very best in Tamika Ketchings and had her for a very very long time but even Tamika, Cheryl Miller, uh, Brianna Stewart, some of these very, very accomplished women's basketball players have never, ever riven, uh, 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 risen to the level that Caitlin Clark has risen to. She's a phenomenon, and she is, I mean... Um, the marketability of that and, um, you know, with the Pacers doing their thing and the potential of Caitlin Clark coming to uh, Indiana is pretty substantial and it'll make things a lot of fun. I would I would say Indiana Fever season tickets <laughs> uh, are going to take a little bit of a jump. Uh, just just going out on a limb that uh, the anticipation will be incredibly high for Caitlin Clark. So again, that story is something we will follow throughout the summer months because, again, um, that, that is, that's pretty cool. I mean, th- th- this is going to be a pretty neat experience if it all lines up the way that it seems like it's going to line up for the Indiana Fever ultimately drafting Caitlin Clark. So, uh, there it is. She just announced it on social media about 27 minutes ago. So, all right, um, we don't have a ton of time to discuss this today, and 
but clearly the offseason will take a kind of a life of its own as we head through the next couple of weeks, and that being the uh, Indianapolis Colts in the NFL offseason. But Chris Ballard, uh, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, spoke yesterday um, about the situation regarding uh, Michael Pittman Jr. And he made an emphatic statement by saying one way or the other, whether it's the franchise tag or by um, the, uh, the, 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 by way of a long-term deal, um, Michael Pittman Jr. will be on this Indianapolis Colts roster. So um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it all plays out uh, for for the Indianapolis Colts. Can they get it done with Michael Pittman Jr.? Uh, can they get that long-term term deal done? It doesn't look like um, it's out of the realm of possibility the Indianapolis Colts could agree to a long-term deal or according to the general manager of the Colts. You know, all of this stuff is leverage. You're trying to put pressure on the player. You're trying to put pressure on the player's agents. The agents are trying to put pressure on the organization to uh, expedite that. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I wonder how much stock to really buy into that um, but I, I, I think it was made very clear that uh, again Chris Ballard emphatically said whether it's the franchise tag whether it's an extension Michael Pittman Jr. will be on this roster coming up in the 2024 season I don't think anybody's shocked by that um, I think that was pretty clear from the very start. We'll get into more of those comments uh, in future shows as we uh, talk all of this situation through with the Indianapolis Colts in this offseason. They have a lot of decisions to make as they are all at the NFL Draft Combine. So, uh, no high school basketball tonight. But we do have a lot coming up tomorrow and on Saturday. Stay tuned to our social media pages. Um, I'm going to be out on this show for a little bit so I'm out tomorrow Zach Johnson will fill in for me Zach Johnson will also be on Monday and Tuesday next week Jared Boomer on Wednesday I am back with you on Thursday um, I'll have a chance to kind of let you know what, what what I have going on over the next couple of days uh, when I get back on on Thursday um, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll dive into that because it's uh, it's gonna be neat a very uh, awesome opportunity ahead so uh, thanks to um, Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network. He's always outstanding. Great stuff there. Breaking news, Caitlin Clark, Iowa basketball player, announcing her intention to enter the WNBA draft. Indiana Fever have the number one overall pick. All right, uh, thanks for joining us. We're back on the show at 4 tomorrow.